You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Boutan on the Calvary Brighton Podcast. You don't need to raise your hand, but let me ask you, how many of you have a, have a prodigal in your life, have a rebel in your life? You know, maybe, maybe you've got a, a teenager who, who's going through a time of rebellion, or maybe you've got a young adult in your life who, who, who's turned their back on God, and they've turned their back on you. You know, kind of like a family I've, I've, I've talked to you about before, who, who went on a family vacation to Greece. Now, at the time, their, their, their son, who was a sophomore in college, was going through a terrible time of rebellion. I mean, there was drugs, and there was this hardcore lifestyle. I mean, they basically just, just wasting all the money they were spending on college. So they left him at home. They went to Greece without him. Now, they did send him a postcard, however, uh, a, 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 just this, this beautiful picture of this, of this really high cliff. And then on the back, they wrote these words. They said, dear son, we're now standing high upon the, the highest cliff in Greece, upon which ancient Greek women would once throw their rebellious children to the rocks below. Wished you were here. Now, that may not necessarily be the best way to deal with your rebel, to, to deal with your prodigal. Effective, but may not be the best way. Uh, now, again, you, you may remember a few weeks back, I mentioned that the book of 1 Samuel is a transitional book. By that, what we mean is it, is, it, is it shows us the transition from a theocracy where God was ruling and reigning over his people to now a monarchy where a king is ruling and reigning over the people. Now, that transition is taking place right here in this chapter, in chapter 8. But as we look at this chapter, we see that the transition is based in rebellion. It's based on the fact that the people were rejecting God. And so with that, we see this morning how God deals with his own rebels, how God deals with his prodigals. Here in this message that we've titled Prodigal People. So now as we pick up the first five verses, what we see is a, is a faithful prophet and his prodigals. A faithful prophet and his prodigals. Chapter 8, verse 1. When Samuel became old, he, he made his sons judges over Israel. And the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain, and they took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together, and they came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, Behold, you, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. And we'll pause here. So it's interesting, this, this chapter opens by telling us that Samuel was old. Listen, when the Bible says you're old, guess what? You're old. And so it says Samuel was old. Now what's interesting is that most Bible commentaries point out that, that, that between chapter 7 and chapter 8, there's actually a span of about 25 to maybe 30 years in between these two chapters. And so remember, back in chapter 7, the, the, the chapter ended with the people crying out to God, saying, we have sinned against the Lord. And in many ways, it was like a national revival. It's like the whole nation, everyone just, just turned their hearts back to God. They got their hearts right with God again. It was like a national revival, but that was like almost three decades ago. That was like almost 30 years in the past. It's so now 30 years have gone by, and, and, and now we're getting into a new chapter. Now, by the way, chapter 7 also ended by telling us that Samuel was a traveling preacher who kind of traveled this circuit uh, where he would go to the city of Bethel and, and, and Gilgal and, and Mitzvah, and he would, he would proclaim the word of God. He would preach the, God, the, the, the message of God in those cities. I mean, he'd do that circuit again and again and again every year for 30 years. 
And now after 30 years of faithful service, 30 years of faithful ministry, now it starts off just by saying Samuel was old. And so really the question of the day is, is who is going to replace Samuel? Who's going to pick up where Samuel left off? And so verses 1 and 2 tell us that Samuel basically appointed his two sons to serve as his assistants in the ministry. They're serving in a city called Beersheba. But unfortunately, verse 3 says, his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain, and they took bribes and perverted justice. And so sadly, although Samuel walked with the Lord, his sons did not. Although Samuel loved the Lord and was faithful to the Lord, his his sons were not. Now the names of his sons are worth our attention. Now the first son, his oldest son, was named Joel, or, 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 or more accurately, Joel, or really the Hebrew, Yoel. And it's a name in the Hebrew that means the Lord is God. The Lord is God. And then his, his, his younger brother, Abijah, his Hebrew name means my father is the Lord. And yet, unfortunately, we see that neither one of them live up to their names. Neither one of them live up to their names. It just says that, that they did not walk in their father's ways. They turned aside after gain and they took bribes and perverted justice. Now, by the way, this, this, this would also seem to imply that, that, that there was no hypocrisy on Samuel's part. In other words, you know, Samuel not only talked the talk, he walked the walk. I mean, it wasn't like he was one person behind the pulpit and then completely somebody different when, when he was at home with his family. He was the same person day in and day out. There was no hypocrisy. And so he walked in the Lord's ways, but his sons did not follow his example. He walked in the Lord's ways, but they did not follow in his ways. And I point that out, by the way, because, you know, I think the tendency sometimes is, is we see, you know, uh, so, someone's child or, or maybe their adult child, and we see that they're in a time of rebellion, and it is so easy for us to point the finger and think, you know what, maybe the parents had something to do with this. Now, sometimes that's the case, but you know what? Oftentimes what I've seen is, is that typically what the case is is, is that you have like a, a mom and a dad who, who deeply love the Lord and they're, and they're raising their kids in God's ways. They're raising their kids in God's word. They're raising their children to know the Lord, but guess what? That child has their own free will. And along with that, they, they sometimes have a, a little rebellious streak, a little stubborn streak. In fact, some kids are like born with a rebellious streak, Right? You know, I, I told you about the, about the mom who was putting her daughter in the minivan and, and, and she put her in there, but, that, but her little girl just refused to, put, to, to sit down and put on the seatbelt. So she gets out and she, she comes over and she puts her daughter in the seat. You know what I mean by that? Like, put her in there. <laughs> She's starting to turn around and, and, and the little girl goes, Mommy, I might be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. <laughs> just a rebellious streak. And, 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 you know, and, and there are some kids who, who do something just because you told them not to do it. You know, like, like a, a couple I heard about, they're going on a date and, and they get a babysitter. And, 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 and as they're walking out the door, for, for whatever reason, the dad just turns around and says, hey, don't shove any peas up your nose while we're gone. <laughs> Hour later, they get a call from the babysitter at the emergency room as the doctors are, are trying to pull the peas out of this kid's nose. He never would have thought about it if, and, and, until the dad said, don't do it. 
you know, not unlike uh, goth rocker Marilyn Manson who said these, these words. He said, resistance always will be the first thing to fuel the fire when you're young. He says, that's how I learned about heavy metal music. They would have these seminars at Christian school saying, this is what you're not supposed to listen to. So immediately, that's what I went out and bought. And so there's, there's this sense where Samuel was walking in the Lord's ways, but, but his sons refused to follow his example. There was a rebellious streak. But now, however, the context does seem to imply that perhaps all of Samuel's traveling might have had something to do with that. And the reason I say that is because, again, the end of the last chapter closes by telling us that, that Samuel was always traveling. He would travel from, from, from Bethel to Gilgal to Mitzvah and then back home to Ramah and then he'd do it again. Bethel to Gilgal to Mitzvah to, to, to Ramah and over and over and over. And, and, and so the text seems to imply that perhaps all this traveling took its toll on the family. That he, being always on the road, he was seldom at home. I'm reminded of the words of Paul Songus who, who uh, you know, he served in the United States Senate but then he got cancer and he was dying. And on his deathbed, he's reflecting, and he says these words. He says, you know what? No one on his deathbed ever said, I wish I spent more time at the office. Listen, all of us know a workaholic or two. In fact, you might be the workaholic or two that we know. And listen, even among my peers, even among those who serve in the full-time ministry, it's, 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 it's easy to, to justify workaholism and, and even spiritualize it and say things like, you know, well, you know what? That's just the call on my life. You know, or, or hey, you know, uh, the, the people need me, so I have to always be there. Or, or we say things like, you know what, no one else can do what I can do. And listen, the truth of the matter is that, is that just because you're doing God's work doesn't mean the same thing won't happen to you that happened to Samuel. Just because you're doing God's work doesn't mean you might not lose your family like any other workaholic might lose theirs. In fact, I think for those in the ministry, the stakes are even higher. Speaking of those who serve in the ministry, 1 Timothy 3 verse 5 says, For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? From that verse, I've always been under the, imp the impression that if you lose your family, you lose your ministry. And so Samuel walked the walk. He, he talked the talk, but his sons did not follow in his example. And it's implied that perhaps his traveling had something to do with that. So we've got Samuel and his prodigals, but now as we pick it up in verses 6 through 9, uh, we, we now look at God and his prodigals. Verse 6, but the thing displeased Samuel and, and, and when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they've rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they also are doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who will reign over them. So we kind of recap. We see that the people, they, they come to Samuel, and they're like, you know, Samuel, we, we, we want to move on. We, we think it's time for, for new leadership. We think it's time for a different leader. You know, we want a king like, like all the other nations have. You know, we, we, we no longer want to be led by a prophet, but we now want to be a non-profit organization. You know, and, 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 and so now they give three reasons. They say, number one, you're old. Number two, uh, your sons don't walk in your ways. And number three, we want to be like everyone else. Everybody else has a king. We want to have a king. Now, what we see that they're doing is really they, they give the one 
real reason that they're rejecting Samuel and ultimately rejecting God, the one real reason, along with two other reasons that sort of make the real reason sound more legitimate in the process. It's kind of like back in the day, back when you're in high school, you know, maybe, maybe you, you broke up with your boyfriend, broke up with your girlfriend, and you would say something like, well, you know, it, it's, it's not you, it's me. You know, and, 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 and we're better as friends, and so let, let's, 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 just, let's just be friends. So that's the people. They, they come to Samuel, like, you know, Samuel, it's not you, it's, it's your sons. I mean, you know, you were a great leader, but we're not so sure that your boys are cut out for this sort of thing. And besides, you know, you're, 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 you're getting up there in years. You know, you're, get, you're getting older, and, you know, and, 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 and we're concerned. We're concerned about that, that all this responsibility of leading an entire nation might be too much for you. It might, it might be too hard for you at your age. It might, it, might, it might take too much of a toll, you know. And so we, we all agree that, that you've earned it, that, that, that you deserve a much-needed retirement. So really, it's for your benefit. It's, it's really out of your protection that we think we, we should have a king instead of you. So it says in verse 6 that Samuel hears it, and it says the thing displeased Samuel. That word displeased, it's a very strong word. In, in the Hebrew, it's ra'ach. It's a word that can be translated deeply angry, deeply hurt. It, it can be translated broken into pieces. It carries the idea of, of being afflicted by an evildoer whose only intent is to wickedly harm you. Needless to say, Samuel was taking this kind of personally. You know, you know, think about it. I mean, you know, after decades and decades and decades of faithfully serving these people, pouring his, lo- his life, his heart and his soul into serving these people, hey, hey, even at the expense of his family, even at the expense of his own children, and yet in the end, after decades of faithful service, what does he hear in the end? He hears, you know what? We're done with you. Out with the old, in with the new. So understandably, Samuel's feeling a little rejected right now. And so now God comes and, and cheers him up by saying, hey, Join the club. <laughs> you know, God's like, hey, listen to this. They're not actually rejecting you. They're rejecting me. Because after all, I'm the king. You're not. You're, you're just my messenger. You're just my mouthpiece. They're not actually rejecting you. They're rejecting me as their king. But you know, this reminds us that if, that if the people are, are, are rejecting God, then it goes without saying that they're going to reject God's servants. They're going to reject God's representatives. I mean, if they don't want anything to do with him, why would they want anything to do with you? I mean, as we're told in John chapter 15, verse 20, a servant is not above his master. If they rejected me, they will also reject you. And we keep saying the people. Well, what people? Which people? Well, the people of Israel. That name Israel, Israel. It literally means ruled by God governed by God. That's what Israel means. Israel, governed by God, ruled by God. But the people don't want to be ruled by God anymore. They don't want to be governed by God anymore. And so just as Samuel's sons were not living up to their names, neither were the children of Israel living up to their name. They no longer want to be governed by God. They're like, you know what? All the other nations have a king who, who, who leads them into battle, and that's what we want. I mean, we want, a, we want a king. We want a leader that strikes fear in the hearts of our enemies. But here's the problem. The problem is that when they rejected God in order to be like the nations around them, not only did they lose the king they actually had, that would be God, but, but they also lost their distinction the thing that made them distinct, the thing that made them unique, the thing that made them different. You see, listen, 
When, 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 when the people of God are living for God, then the world watching you will wish that your God was their God. When you're actually living for God, they look at you and they're like, you know what, there's something different about you. I don't know what it is, but I want what you have. I'll have what you're having. But when you, when you lose that, when you become like the world around you, now you lost the one thing that made you different, the one thing that made you stand out, the one thing that actually made you attractive to this world. And so we've seen Samuel in his prodigals, and now we've also seen God in his prodigals. And as we pick it up in verse 10 through, through verse 18, there's a warning, and the warning is simply this. Be careful what you ask for, verse 10. So Samuel told the words of the Lord to the people, who were asking him for a king. And he said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, some to plow his ground and some to reap his harvest and to make implements of war and, and, and equipment for his chariots. And he will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. And he will take a tenth of your grain and your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. And he will take your male servants and female servants, the best of your young men and your donkeys, and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your flocks, and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer your cry in that day. <laughs> so Samuel gives a warning. He stands before the people and like, okay, you know what? You, you want a king? Okay, fine. God will give you what you want. God will give you what you're asking for. But the lesson is, be careful what you ask for, because you might just get it. And so he gives them this warning. What's the warning? He says, you know, listen, here's what's going to happen when you finally get the king you're asking for. Your new king, he's going to tax you left and right. He's going to take. In fact, that word take is repeated at least six different times in this passage. He's, he's going to take your sons. He's going to take your daughters. He's going to take them by force. He's going to put them to, to, to work for his own benefit, for his own kingdom, to support his kingdom. And then he's going to tax your, your crops. He's going to tax your land. He's going to tax your income. He's going to tax everything. You know, we all know the old saying that says there's only two things in life that are certain, right? What are they? Death and taxes. But if someone else put it, they said, you know what? At least death doesn't get worse every time Congress meets. When Ronald Reagan was president, he said these words. He said, you know, you would think that the motto of the United States government is this. You would think that it was, if it moves, tax it. If it, if it stops moving, tax it twice. And that's kind of the warning. Samuel's saying, you know what? You just need to remember that, that, that when you get to the point that you're tired of, 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 of being taxed left and right, being taxed for this and taxed for that, when, when you're tired of being taxed without representation, when you're tired of, 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 of the king taking this and taking that and taxing you for this and taxing you for that, when you get tired of all that, just remember you asked for it. And you got it. And, and by the way, the fact that they rejected God and asked for a king, that didn't surprise God. That didn't take him by surprise. It's not like he didn't see this coming. In fact, you know what? God predicted it hundreds of years beforehand back in the days of Moses. You may want to write this down. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 through 20. I'll say that again because I saw no fingers moving. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 through 20. 
And when you read Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 through 20, I'm saying it multiple times so you can write it down. And so when you get to Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 through 20, you see this amazing thing, and that is the words in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 through 20, sound almost identical to what, what Samuel's saying here in these verses. He's saying when you finally get the king, in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 through 20, it says he's going to tax you left and right. He's going to take this. He's going to take that. And on top of all of that, it says, you know what? He's going to collect for himself horses. And he's also going to collect for himself wives. And all of that starts to happen when Saul becomes the king. And then progressively, it gets worse and worse and worse with each king, it seems. And so God warned him, this is what you're going to get. Be careful what you ask for because you're probably going to get it. And now in verses 19 through 22, at the end here of the chapter, now we learn how to deal with our prodigals, dealing with prodigals. Verse 19, it says... But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, no, but there, there, there should be a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, go every man to his city. So Samuel gets up, he, he warns the people, this is what's going to happen if you make this choice. And nevertheless, it says in verse 19 that the people refused to listen. The people refused to obey. That word refuse, it, it's, it's a much stronger word than the words that we read back in verse 7, where God said, Samuel, they haven't rejected you, they've rejected me. Now the word in verse 7 there for rejected can also be translated refused. They haven't refused you, they've refused me. But now in verse 19, this word is much, much stronger. It's the Hebrew ma'anu. And it's a word that, that, that literally is rendered utterly refuse. It means to, to completely turn your back on someone. To totally disown someone. Ever been disowned uh, by, by someone you love? Ever, ever been disowned by a friend or a family member? I have. In fact, on more than one occasion. That's the picture here. They have completely turned their backs on God. They've completely rejected and disowned God. Now really, there's two dynamics at work in this passage. Number one would be on the one hand, Samuel and his prodigal sons, but then on the other hand would be God and his prodigal people. Now first of all, Samuel and his prodigal sons. As we mentioned earlier, it would seem that Samuel might have at least shared some, not all, but at least some of the blame for the outcome of his sons. I mean, he was a great man. He was a great prophet. He was a great minister. But at the same time, it seems that he, he might have been an absent father. Now, by the way, that might sound familiar because in many ways, that sounds just like Eli, the priest, who was the adopted father of Samuel. Remember a handful of chapters ago, we, we saw that Eli was a great priest. He was a great leader. But at the same time, he too was an absent father. And as a result of his lack of involvement, his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, ended up abusing their position. They ended up uh, pocketing the proceeds from the temple and even sleeping with the women who were serving in the temple. And now, all these decades later, it would seem that as great as Samuel was, he was a great prophet. He was a great man of God. But unfortunately, it seems like he's repeating Eli's pattern. And listen, some of you were, were raised in a, in a dysfunctional model, in a dysfunctional pattern. You know, maybe, maybe some of you had parents that were never home. Maybe you had uh, parents that were, were uninvolved. 
You know, or maybe, maybe there was a pattern of yelling in your home or a pattern of, 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 of violence in your home or a pattern of addiction in your home. And, and maybe you vowed that it would be different with you. Maybe you vowed that you would never be like your parents. But now here you are, fast forward, and now you've got a family of your own. And yet you're starting to see the same pattern getting repeated even in your midst. Hey, listen, I'm here to tell you this morning that you know what? You don't have to be a prisoner of the past. I'm here to tell you that that cycle, that pattern can, can, can end with you right here, right now, that the chains of the past can be broken. Listen to this. God says in, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 4, for God will break the chains that bind his people. Listen, the truth of the matter is that because Samuel had God in his life, he didn't have to choose to follow Eli's pattern. He could have chose to follow a different pattern. And in the same way, you have God in your life. You don't have to follow the pattern that was set before you. You don't have to follow the pattern of your dysfunctional father. You can follow the pattern of your heavenly father. You can make that choice. That's number one. But now dynamic number two is, is now we look at God and his prodigal people. And, and, and again, while it might be true that perhaps Samuel sh- shared some of the blame for the outcome of his sons, the same cannot be said about God. I mean, when you think about it, you know, you know there, 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 there couldn't be a more perfect father than God the Father, right? And yet as perfect as he was, guess what? He had prodigals. He had rebels, you know, in some ways, this reminds us that, you know, uh, that, that as parents, sometimes, you know, the, the rebellion of our kids has nothing to do with us, and yet it has everything to do with them. It may not have anything to do with us. It may be as a result of their sin nature. The Bible says that the heart is wicked and deceitful. Who can know it? They were born with sin in their hearts. They were born with a free will. And so it could very well be that, that as a mom and a dad, you, you, you love your kids and, and you love the Lord. And you're doing everything you can to raise them in a godly home, to raise them in God's ways, to raise them to know the Lord themselves. And yet, despite your efforts, they rebel anyway. They turn their backs anyway. You know, maybe Mother's Day might, might be very hard for you this morning. You know, because, you know, uh, you know maybe, maybe you've got a wayward daughter. Or maybe you've got a, a prodigal son. And maybe they're spending time in rehab or spending time in jail rather than spending time with you celebrating right now. And I'm here to tell you that, you know what? God shares your pain because he has prodigals. He's got millions of them. And so as we look at how how God deals with his people, how he deals with the nation of Israel, what we learn is how we can deal with our prodigals. So how does God deal with his people? How does he deal with the nation of Israel? Well, number one, we see that he warns them of the consequences. And then number two, he lets them actually face the consequences. He he warned them of the consequences, but then he does not spare them of the consequences. In fact, in many ways, you know, he's given this warning. He's like, you know, hey, if you want to be rebellious, if if you want to reject me, that's fine. But here's what's going to happen. You want to turn your back on me? You want to disown me? That's fine. I'll give you what you asked for, but you need to be careful what you asked for because you're probably going to get it. Sort of reminds me of, of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15 that Jesus talks about. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a story of a, of a rebellious son who, who demands his share of the, of the family estate, the family inheritance. There's just one problem. His dad's not dead. 
So it's on the level of telling your dad, you know what, I wish you would die, like now. Yet his dad doesn't challenge him. His dad doesn't stop him. In fact, what does his dad do? His dad gives him what he's asking for. But it's a cautionary tale of, of making sure that, 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 you know, be careful what you ask for because you're probably going to get it. And he gets it. And then we're told in the story that he, he takes what he's been given and he goes out and squanders it all away in quote-unquote wild living that evidently involved prostitutes. And he gets to the place where he's, he's actually keeping pigs. He's tending pigs. Now listen. When, when, when you hear of a good Jewish boy who's been, who's been raised to be kosher and now he's tending pigs, I mean, that'd be like, like you and I hearing, hearing that, that our kids, who we raised in the church, we raised in God's ways, we raised them to know God, and now we're hearing that they're running around with, with meth addicts, pimps, and prostitutes. Emotionally, that's what it would be like hearing. So now as we read the story of the so-called prodigal son, we see that for him, things get worse and worse and worse until finally he hits rock bottom. And now having hit rock bottom, it says this in Luke chapter 15, verse 17. It says, but when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have, have more than enough bread, but I'm dying here of hunger? And of course, we know the rest of the story. The rest of the story is that he repents, he comes back home, and his father throws his arms around him and forgives him. Listen, that's what some of you have been praying for. Some of you have been praying that they would come to their senses. You've been praying that, 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 that they would come back home. You've been praying for the day that you could throw your arms around them. But in this story, we are reminded of what it was that actually led them to repent. What was it? Consequences. The father, sure, he gave the boy what he was asking for, but he also let him face the consequences that came with it. And, and, and things got worse, and they got worse, and they got worse until he came home. And listen, in, in, in some ways, this reminds us that, that, you know, maybe there's a prodigal that you've been praying for. There's a rebel in your life, and you've been praying for them to return, for them to repent, for them to come back home. But it's like the more you pray, the worse things get. And so you pray for them, and you pray for them, and, and, and all of a sudden you hear that, 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 that they've been busted. You pray for them, and you hear that they're in jail. You pray for them, and you, and you hear that, that, that they've lost their job, and they've lost their marriage, and they've lost this. And it's like, the more you pray, the worse things get. And you're like, you know, God, what's up with that? I mean, I'm praying for them, and things are getting worse. Why? You know what that is? That's actually God answering your prayers. Because God understands that the way you deal with prodigals is that you allow them to face the consequences. Why? Because it's the consequences that drive them back. That's why it says in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 19, your wickedness will punish you. Your backsliding will rebuke you. And by the way, let me add that, that when they're reaping what they've sown, when they're facing the consequences, that is not the time for you to intervene. You know, sometimes, you know, we, we see what they're going through and it's really tempting to want to get in there and rescue them, to, you know, to bail them out of jail or, or we, 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 you know, we, we hear that they're on drugs and these things are happening. Like, you know, hey, why don't, why don't you move back in, come in with us, try to get, you, you know, get yourself back on your feet or whatever it is. And we have good intentions, but listen, sometimes in our good intentions, we might actually be causing more damage than good. We might not be helping them, we might be hindering them. Why? Because God is trying to drive them back home by using the consequences that you're trying to rescue them from. So sometimes you have to let them reap what they've sown. It's the consequences that drove the prodigal son to come back to his senses and then come back home. And by the way, we learn another principle when it comes to dealing with prodigals, and that is simply this. The father 
of the prodigal son, we see that he, he, he never gave up. He never lost hope. The story implies that he kept waiting and watching and waiting for his son to return. And in the same way, I want to encourage you not to lose heart, not to give up on your prodigal. Keep praying for your prodigal. As I heard Greg Laurie say on the radio, they can outrun you, but they cannot outrun your prayers. So keep praying for them. And don't stop. Listen, I'm here to tell you this works. I've experienced it in my own life. I shared with you last week how, how when I was 18 years old, that was like three years ago. Uh, but, you know, at that time I, I backslid and I backslid hardcore to the point that I was involved in a lot of crazy stuff that I had to go to jail two or three different times. And yet during that time, I had an aunt who was praying for me. Now listen, I've told you about my aunt and uncle and how, how when I was a sophomore in high school, they brought me into their home to live there. And, and, and ultimately, as a result, they were the ones who ended up leading me to faith in Jesus. But then a, few, a couple years later, by the time I'm 18 years old, I turn my back on Jesus. I rebel. I, I get into out, outright sin and, and just turn my back on the Lord. And it gets to the point that the people who brought me into their home ended up being the same people who kicked me out of their home. They come up and they're like, you know what? We see how you're living your life. You're 18, you can live any way you want to, just not here. Because in this house, we live for the Lord. So you need to go today. And that's when they let me start to face the consequences. And it took a year and a half of facing the consequences over and over, a year and a half of things getting worse and worse and worse before I finally came back to my senses. But that whole time, I had an aunt who was praying for me. But it was like the more she prayed, the worse things got. She prayed and prayed and it got worse and worse until finally I came back to my senses and I came back home and I discovered I could outrun her, but I could not outrun her prayers. And so I want to challenge you this morning not to lose heart. Don't give up. You keep praying for your prodigals. Amen? Amen. So Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your word this morning, that your word is living and active. It's timeless written thousands of years ago, but as fresh as the moment. Some of us in this room, we, we, have, we have wayward daughters or prodigal sons. There might be some people who have prodigal parents, parents that have turned their backs on the Lord. And Lord, we pray for them. We lift them up to you. We pray that whatever it takes, that they would come to their senses. Whatever it takes, that they would turn from where they are and come back to you and come back to us. Our hearts grieve for them, but we trust you with them. So we pray that we have the strength to keep our hands off of them so that you can keep your hands on them. We pray in Jesus' name. Why don't we stand and sing one more time to the Lord? Thanks for listening to the Calvary Brighton Podcast. To find out more about our ministry in Brighton, Colorado, go to calvarychapelbrighton.com.